When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Now we read Mark chapter 13, verse 7 and 8. And in the framework of that text, Jesus is talking about his disciples, about the fall of the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital of the country and the nation of Israel. And it, it, it was the focal point of the lives of all the people of Israel and the Jews during Jesus' day. He's telling these men that all of this is coming down and coming apart. Matter of fact, he said not one stone will be left upon another. They'll be thrown down. The disciples are going to ask him the question, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things happen? They're going to ask that question. And then he's going to tell them that, that uh, what, ha what is going to happen is going to be extremely troubling. He's, he's going to say at verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in different places, famines, troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Now that sounds familiar to me. It sounds familiar because of the difficulties we're now facing as a people, as Christians, as believers. We are facing the difficulty of a medical crisis in our lives. COVID-19. We are not meeting publicly here, the Orchard Street Church of Christ, because we are concerned that we have some vulnerable individuals who might contract the disease and we would lose them. They would die. And if we have a public service, it may be that the majority of our members would not be able to join us because of their fear of contracting the disease. So if we have our public services, we're going to be leaving people behind. This way, as we have our virtual services, and on the Internet, we're not leaving anybody behind. We're, we're bringing you all along with us. So at this point, until there is a therapeutic, a reliable therapeutic, and a vaccination that is uh, guaranteed to be good, we're going to try to continue to meet together virtually. So, we are living in troublous times politically, socially, and economically. Uh, we have individuals who are claiming that other people don't like them. We are, we are being called racist, or racism is prevalent among us, and so riot, there's rioting in the streets, there's, there's protests, there are folks that are saying hateful things to one another. There are people that are making us feel as if this country is kind of coming apart of the seams, that, that there is no love there. And yet, what I want to guarantee you and tell you is this, that among the brethren, among us, there is no racism and no hatred. We love one another. So, we're not talking about problems that we're having as a group here, because I, I don't believe we're having that problem. And if we are having that problem, then we need to get on our knees and ask God for forgiveness and change our ways if we're having that problem. But I don't believe that's going on. I've, I've stayed in touch with most of you through Bonnie because she calls, tries to call everybody every week, and sometimes people call me, 
and sometimes people write me and sometimes people text me and so I kind of know I, I kind of know that you're having problems you're upset and I'm upset Jesus said don't get upset but we're upset now we're not upset about what's happening among us because we are we're cool we're, we're good with each other but we're upset with what's going on around us and what part do we have in that what is going on around us is that there are some changes coming in the political and social and economic landscape. And it's all shifting. We're not really sure what's going on. The Constitution of the United States of America, of which we are citizens, and this is the broader sense now, we're all citizens in the United States of America because we have become signatories to the Constitution through representation. We have all agreed that we're going to keep the Constitution. If we're not going to do it, if we're unhappy with it, then we opt out of it by an oath and we relinquish all of our rights to the Constitution and to this country, to the government of the country. If, however, we want to change it, we have, we have the mechanisms necessary to make the changes. But we are living in tumultuous times. We're living in a time where people are questioning the Constitution because they're questioning the character of the men who wrote the Constitution, which I do not believe is a fair analysis of the situation. These men may not have been the most sterling of characters, but they wrote a good document. And the document, if, it, if, if we don't like it, can be changed. That's the point. Now, I, I want to talk about our relationship to each other under the Constitution of the United States of America. This Constitution came about because of a war of, war of independence, 1776. We gained, the country gained, the colonies, the colonies gained their independence from Great Britain and from France, by the way, as well, but mainly from Great Britain, gained their independence, and then 1787, a, a Constitution was drafted by James Monroe and Thomas Jefferson, and then in 1888, it was signed by representatives of the 13 colonies. And that became the agreement or the Constitution of the United States of America. And that's the one that we are now under and, and beneath. And in addition to this, when the drafters of the Constitution and those who are, who are looking over it and trying to govern by the Constitution looked at it and said, well, here are some things that we need to change. And so there were... There were uh, Amendments made the Constitution, 11 to start with, and they trimmed it down to 10, and then another 17. So we have 27 amendments to the Constitution that makes up the, the, the document itself. But the point is, as a citizen, now, this is going to be important to you. As a citizen, you have an obligation to the Constitution of the United States of America. You have an obligation to me as a fellow citizen, because it is a democracy. We, the people, we have made an agreement with one another. Now, we are just citizens and signatories by representation to that document. We are not the governing body. Somehow this Constitution has to be applied to the people that it applies to. It has to be applied in the sense that we're governed by it. And so we have three branches of government to do that. We have the legislative, which is the Senate and the House, and we have the 
judicial, which is our uh, federal judges and our state judges. And anyway, it's the Supreme Court, which is the last uh, uh, case of judgment or last judgeship that that will take up any any constitutional issue. And then there's the executive branch, which is the president and his cabinet, that applies the law. So if we want to change a law, we have a process to do it. We draft an initiative. We propose that initiative. It's taken up by the legislative body. They then decide whether or not they want to on the majority basis because we're a democracy. Everything is by majority. So the majority says either two-thirds or one-half. It is a majority, a simple majority, or a two-thirds majority. They decide whether or not this bill will be passed. And then the judicial branch will decide how to apply it, and then the executive branch will execute it. But that's how laws are changed in this country. And I agreed to that. And you did too. Because you are a member of the democracy called the United States of America. You are a member of and you, you, you're, you're bound by that Constitution. And that Constitution overrides all the others, that, all the other laws that are beneath it. So if a state has laws that they pass, and there are 50 states, if a state passes laws in their own purview, it has to be in accordance with the Constitution of the United States of America. It cannot be in conflict with our main Constitution. And if a local government passes a law, it's the same thing. It has to be not in conflict with the Constitution of the United States. So all of this is governed by that Constitution. And if we want to be part of the government, now, I'm a citizen, but I'm not part of the government. I'm not part of the government. The only way I can exercise any influence on the people and the government of the people is by my vote. I can do that. And by my representative, whom I vote in or vote out, who can stand for me and say what I want to say. Now, that's how we do it. That's how it's done in a democracy. So the governing body, however, will apply the laws to the citizenship. Okay? That's the government. So when we talk about the government, that's what we're talking about. That's, that'll be an important point that we get to in just a moment. In addition to having the problems of the Constitution before us, we also have problems that, that the familiar landmarks that, that we have become accustomed to are fading and disappearing. Not only are we destroying our national monuments, which is important, but we're destroying our moral and ethical standards. They're coming down. Our standards of right and wrong are being blurred. We're not sure. And part of that has to do with what's going on in our democracy. Part of it has, has to do with that. Because we are not only being ruled by the majority, but we're allowing the majority to tell us what's right and what's wrong. So if the majority of people like something, then they do it and pass a law so that it, it involves us too. When the majority of people like it and pass the laws, then it becomes the law in the land and they were under obligation. So the governing bodies can sometimes 
make mistakes and do it. And it can blur the uh, distinction between right and wrong. Now what we want to say before we get too far and, and say uh, and, and uh, get into the idea that or into the concept that maybe things are not solid for the Christian, what we want to say is this, that, that the believer has something that the world does not have. We have solid ground to stand on. We have the solid ground of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of God. And our ground is not trembling beneath our feet like the world is now causing uproars and shift in paradigms. Our paradigm isn't shifting. The kingdom of God does not pass away. We have received a kingdom that will not be moved. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. And there's no shifting in our relationship with God. He is solid. So laws can change. Morals can change. Ethics can change and get lower and lower. But God is changeless. He doesn't change. He is steady. He is dependable. He's always where He says He is. And James says every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom we have no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We don't have any doubt about God. We know where He is and what He will do and that He is faithful and reliable for us. So we can, we can place our confidence in Him and understand that we're not going to be shifted off of Him or He's not going to shift us off to one side. He's steady, and so is His kingdom. And we can also understand that even though the bar has been lowered on the ethics and morals and family values that we see in our country, the morals and standards and family values in the Bible remain the same. They're not changing. These landmarks are permanent. They remain steadfast and certain, and they're not fading away. Don't worry about these standards of ethics and morals going away. And we can apply these standards to our lives and we can teach these principles to our children and to our grandchildren with confidence that they're right and beneficial and do no harm. Paul told Timothy to preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. The morals and the ethics of the New Testament are timeless. They're timeless. And in addition to this, we have a representative that we do not have to be ashamed of. Now, I should have mentioned as, we, as we're going through this that, that there are a lot of people representing us that are untrustworthy at this time. Always have been. Their, their character is, is flawed. Deeply, deeply flawed. Not just that they were flawed in some of the concepts they had, but their moral fiber is coming apart. But Jesus is not that sort of leader. We have no reason to be uneasy with Him, with His leadership. He will never embarrass us. Human beings have feet of clay, but Jesus does not. You know, Isaiah warned a long time ago in Isaiah chapter 36 verse 6 
when Israel was having a problem and they, they thought, well, the way we can solve our world problem, our national problem, was we'll, we'll go down to Egypt and get the Pharaoh to come help us. And Isaiah said that you are leaning on a broken reed of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Our representative is Jesus. He is the Son of God, and He's no broken reed. Jesus is steadfast and sure, and He will never let us down. Now, we have that as Christians. But as believers, we are now standing in the middle of chaos. We're standing in the middle of confusion. We're wondering, what should we do as Christians? Should we get involved? How, how involved should we get? The popular advice is, if you're a citizen of the United States of America, you're obligated to pick a side, to roll up your sleeves and your trouser legs and wade in with everybody else. Get involved. Let everybody know what you believe and even give a bullhorn and shout it out so that everybody understands what your opinion is. Draft a poster, put up a sign in your yard, wear a t-shirt or a ball cap with a logo, paint your message on somebody's wall or somebody's building, join a movement, run for office, because we're told by some that we need more Christians, more believers in government. We need to get more Christians involved in government. Now the question we have right away is, can a believer really roll up their sleeves and their pant legs, and wade into the fray. Yes, as a citizen of a democracy, we can. We are part of that democracy, a representative form of government that consists of the three branches that we've mentioned, and we have agreed as citizens to respect and honor one another, and as a citizen we have certain rights. But as a believer, we do not have rights. For instance, if we want to get involved in the political scene that's going on now, and the social scene, and the economic scene, and the cultural scene, if we want to get involved in it, we have restrictions. We can get involved. But the first thing we have to know is that we cannot spread false information. Can't do that. However ardently we believe it, if we do not know that the information we have is accurate and is the truth, we cannot advance it as such. We cannot pass on stories or books or rumors that we do not know that are true. We cannot lie and we cannot prolong a lie. If you don't know that what you're telling other people about political individuals or political situations or cultural situations, if you're not sure that it's absolutely, without a doubt, a fact, you can't pass that on. You shouldn't be passing it on. If you cannot verify its authenticity, that's gossip. That is gossip. And gossip is condemned and it damages our neighbor. We're told to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, as a Christian, you can get involved in the political scene, in the cultural scene. But you cannot pass on information that you are not absolutely sure is truth. You cannot do that. Nor can you abuse and malign those with whom you disagree. 
Name-calling is a form of railing. You cannot call your opponent names. can't do that as a, as a believer. James says that the tongue is a world of iniquity, and who can control it? So as a Christian, as a believer, sure, you can get involved in politics, in cultural revolutions. You can get involved in that, but you have restrictions. You cannot slander your neighbor. You cannot call people names. You cannot rail on people. You have to be concerned. You have to give honor to whom honor is due, custom to whom custom is due, and fear to whom fear is due. And you can't get angry with people that are wrong in their positions, that you think are wrong in their positions. Anger and evil speaking is, be, is to be put away from you with all malice, Ephesians 5.31, along with bitterness and violence. You remember when uh, the soldiers came to John the Baptist and John the Baptist said, the kingdom's coming. And the soldiers said, what shall we do? And John said, do no violence to any man. So if you intend to get involved in a protest, you cannot get involved in violence. You just can't do it. You cannot do it. As a believer. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying you cannot get involved as a believer in violence. To believer, to the believer, Jesus has, has given certain amounts of restrictions. Our motives and our actions need to be pure. We need to be sure that we are telling the story straight, that we're not angry with people that disagree with us, thinking that our way is the only way that's right, and that we that we make sure that we stand always with Jesus. You know, I know we're involved in a big melee. I know we're involved and we're concerned about it. We're wondering, how can I help the situation? What does God want me to do in this? What does He want me to do? Jesus never once recommended that His apostles involve themselves with the Roman government. Never once. Never once. He told them that they had to obey the Roman government as citizens of Rome. Sure. When they asked him the question, should they give tribute to Caesar or not? He said, gender unto Caesar are the things that are Caesar, but unto God they are the things that are God's. And Jesus did not involve himself in worldly politics, worldly cultural divisions. He didn't do that, social upheavals. He didn't involve himself in that. And when he stood before Pilate, and Pilate examined him, you know what Pilate said? He said, I find no fault in this man. I don't find any fault in him. Jesus was not involved in something that would bring fault down upon him. The kingdom of God is not dependent upon a human government to advance it. And here's where it gets ticklish. The United States of America is a democracy and probably the most beneficial and efficient type of government that has ever existed on this earth, human government. Probably is. But it is not the kingdom of God. It is not the kingdom of God. And if we believe that we can advance the kingdom of Christ by advancing the United States of America, we're mistaken. We do not advance the kingdom by advancing the kingdom of this world. It just doesn't work that way. Good men and women today want to get involved in the government. 
not just being citizens, but they want to get involved in the government. And that's good. You know, that, that would help, probably. It would help. We, we like to see people that we can trust in government and thinking, well, if I'm on the school board, I can help make sure that our kids are being taught properly and taught, taught the right material. If I'm, if I'm a councilman uh, on the city council, maybe I can help the council steer things around so that we're honest and upright in all of our dealings. Make, maybe I can do that. And even if I become a senator or a representative, maybe I can, maybe I can be, be efficient that way and effective that way. I can help. And so that's what we're told. Not only do you want to be involved as a citizen, but now then we are told that it's good if you could be involved as a governor, someone who governs other people. Now that's the difference. That's why I want you to remember this. It's, a, it's different. You're different from being a citizen to being part of the government. A citizen is not part of the government. Part of the government is those people who rule everybody else. And they're elected to do that. Selected to do that. I'm not a governor. And most of you aren't either. I'm a citizen. So I have a responsibility as a citizen toward you to treat you as the Constitution is dictated. But I don't have the responsibility to govern you. Now, would it be good if Christians were governing in the United States Senate, legislature, and so forth, Congress? Well, you say, sure. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If we had Christians who had high morals and high principles, if they were governing, would that help the kingdom of God? That's, that's the issue. Now, the kingdom of God is going to be here when the United States government is gone. When the United States of America vanishes, the kingdom of God will still be here. It always has. 4,000 years ago, God made a promise to Abraham. And that promise was, I'll make your seed as abundant as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the sea. And because of the fact that the government of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God rules in the hearts of men, and that's what we're told in the book of Luke chapter 17, verse 41, the kingdom of God is within you because the kingdom of God rules in our hearts then the sword of the kingdoms of this world do not have any power over us and cannot stop the kingdom of God. Okay. Daniel wrote it this way in Daniel chapter 2 at verse 44. He says, In the days of these kings, and he was talking about the Roman government, the Roman kingdom, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall be not, shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Let's define the problem for the believer. Our world is changing, and we're worried and uneasy about the eventual outcome in this country for our children and our grandchildren. What sort of world are we going to leave them in the future? Will they have freedom? Prosperity, stability. What we need to be sure that we're doing is leaving them access to the kingdom of heaven that is going to endure. Our bank accounts may shrink. Our property may go away. 
And our prospects of happiness may fold under this government, under this constitution. But it will never go away under the kingdom of Christ. That's what we need to promote. Now, if the believer decides to become a part of the government and see if they can influence it from, the, from within, isn't that what we're talking about? Okay, I, I, I'm, not, I'm satisfied to cast a vote, but I also want to maybe have a hand in manipulating the government to make sure it goes in the right direction and that it, it benefits the kingdom of God. Maybe I can do that. You know, we have some we have some illustrations in the Bible of people that tried to get into and did succeed in getting into worldly governments. We do. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, he was taken into Babylonian captivity, and the Babylon the Chaldean kingdom was in effect at that time under Nebuchadnezzar. That was a world kingdom. And Daniel was taken into into captivity along with three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they came into favor with the king, with Nebuchadnezzar, for a while. Nebuchadnezzar decided, however, because he had control, he said, I'm going to build a statue of myself, which he did, and it's about 20 feet tall. And he said, I want you to bow down and worship the statue. Now that was the government... And they were part of the government and they were involved in it and they couldn't stop that. He built it anyway. And he said, everybody that doesn't worship will be cast into the furnace of fire. And guess where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up? In the furnace of fire. Now God saved them and, and kept them and brought them out un, untinged by the fire and even by the smoke. But the point is, they did not change the government. They were there. And Daniel, well, okay, how about Daniel? All right, let's talk about Daniel. Daniel not only was part of the government, but Daniel was one of the three rulers over 120 provinces in the Chaldean Empire. He was one of the three under Darius, and he was the chief of the three. So, he was, in a, he was in a position of authority where he could really help his people, help others. He could change that government, you see. What happened to Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar, or Darius said, I'm going I'm to build a, I'm going to build a uh, idol, just like he did before. And he had to pay the price for that. But he said that at the, and he said at the time that they made a sound or sound of the trumpet, Everyone was supposed to worship. In addition to this, he said anybody that prayed to any other god was going to be thrown into the lion's den. And that's where Daniel ended up, in the lion's den. So he was in the belly of the beast, if you want to use that term. He was there, but he wasn't changing the government. He was trying, obviously, but the government did not take his advice. There's another illustration concerning a, a woman by the name of Esther with her uncle Mordecai. And they were under the Medo-Persian Empire and they were able to gain some favor, but after all is said and done, they did not change the nature of the Medo-Persian Empire at all. 
Well, Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra were in the government of the Persian government under Ahasuerus, and they were given some favor, but at the same time, all I'm saying is that even though you had these good men and women involved in those governments, they were not changing those governments. They were not changing them. Now, I'm not suggesting that you not try it. If you think you can be a good senator, and if you think you can be a good congressman, if you think you can be a good mayor, if you think you can be a good alderman, whatever it may be, if you think you can exercise some authority or some, some um, influence for Jesus Christ, then do it. But what I'm doing, what I'm saying is, you need to be warned that it hasn't worked before. It has not worked before. And you may find yourself riding the beast. In the book of Revelation, and in chapter 7, there is a beast mentioned there, and, and the Old Testament mentions these because it, it comes to this point in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel saw the world empires, and he saw four of them. He saw, first of all, he, he saw a, a bear, and he saw a lion with wings. Well, he saw the lion first, then the bear. Then he saw the leopard, and then he saw a great beast with iron teeth. And that beast was worse than all the rest and had ten crowns. Now, in the book of Revelation, this is mentioned. The, this last beast is mentioned in, in chapter, uh, chapter 7 and chapter 13. And it's mentioned, it, it says it has seven heads and ten horns. And I've wondered about that for a long time. It was the Roman government, basically, is what he's talking about. But the Roman government had seven heads. Now, can you imagine seven heads on one beast? I'm sure none of them agreed with each other. They were all in disagreement. And ten horns, you know, they, they fought over those crowns. They fought over those crowns, seven of them going for the ten crowns. Anyway, they, they couldn't agree among themselves. And in addition to this, in chapter 18, he talks about a harlot... He calls her Babylon, which is basically Israel, his people. They were riding the beast, trying to control the beast. And what eventually happened was that the beast turned on the harlot and ate her up with fire. So all I'm saying is if you want to get involved in government, just remember you're riding a beast. You're riding a beast. And it may be that that beast turns and consumes you if you're not careful. And it would be very, it's very difficult. I know this, and I've known people who have been in government before. It is very difficult to maintain your character in the midst of those who have no character. It really is. But if you want to do it, God help you. We do need people who will exercise an influence for Jesus Christ. Just be careful if you do it. We have a kingdom they cannot be moved. And when everything's said and done, everything's said and done, we'll come out on the other side. We will survive. Not because we got involved with the government and the kingdoms of this world, but because we are citizens in the kingdom of Jesus Christ.